Games Podcast, episode 15. 15. How's it going, everybody? Pretty good. Going good. I'm Ryan Lockett. I'm here with... Brenna Asplund. Andrew Frick. And we're hanging out at the Red Raven Games studio. Yeah, so... Um, How's it going? It's been pretty cold here. Well, it it, it was cold and it yeah. kind of warmed up recently. What I what I did is I complained on Twitter constantly about being cold until my parents and multiple friends just sent us space heaters. So now I'm not cold anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was worried we were going to be cold here because we actually don't have access to the uh, temperature controls. <laughs> yeah, we don't have any. We don't have any control over it. We're at the mercy of another office. Yeah, but yeah, it's been fine. Yeah. So no, it's been. You know, I, I've been feeling. Uh, I'm enjoying the winter weather. I went the last few years kind of a hiatus from winter weather, so I, I I'm glad to experience it again. As bitter as it can be, uh, if anything, getting up in the morning has been the hardest part. Yeah. yeah. Hibernate. <laughs> yeah. So. If if I could never experience winter weather again, I would be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I I usually think that way, Brenna, but mm-hmm. uh, I think I've I've changed a little bit. So I'm okay with winter weather, like in December here in Utah, where it's snowing and it's just pretty. It's when you get to January and February when the air yeah. gets so polluted and it's oh, so gosh, gross. Like, and here here in the mountains, we have a particularly awful kind of weather called an inversion. <laughs> where just a bunch of cold air and pollution and gunk and awfulness gets trapped in the valley here with us, yeah. and it's it's we it's die. Awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've got asthma, so. <laughs> oh, so you definitely. I really, it. it's really bad. Yeah, for me, it's sort of it's it's weird because it's it gets so bright too, you know, because yeah. the sun hits that thick air and. Because it's kind of it's kind of essentially like a fog or a smog that's hanging over the valley, and the sunlight really does kind of reflect through it. Yeah, you know what was funny is uh, the other day my wife was watching or Mallory was watching uh, that new uh, show The Crown on Netflix. Yeah. And there's an episode where I didn't even know this, but in London, at one time there was this mm-hmm. huge. Um, smog problem yeah. that happened one day and it was so bad it lasted like a week and people were in the hospital like the, because the coal I guess the the power plant or something was mm-hmm. uh, you know all that bad exhaust was getting trapped in right. the smog and yeah the London the London smog killed people it was yeah. a serious problem yeah. there's actually there's um there's a fantasy book called Unlondon okay that's spelled U-N space L-U-N space D-U-N space well not a space because that's the end of it (laughs) (laughs) it's there though it's there though but uh it's sort of it's a fantasy novel where there's this sort of alternate universe nega photo negative version of London but the main villain of the book is the smog, is sentient smog <laughs> that's trying to get into, like, regular London and kill everyone. Funny, interesting. Yeah. Now, when does this thing, the episode of the show, take place? Because I would think that's Industrial Revolution. I can think of power plants just well, yeah, the, but it's later on. The crown is is Queen Victoria, isn't it? Uh, is that early 1900s? Or? No, it's it's Queen Elizabeth. It's, oh. it's set in the late... Oh, okay. you know, it's set in, like, the... Uh, I'm trying to think, the 60s, the 50s, and the 60s. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting, after um, 
you know, the king dies, and that's where the show sort of starts, is, is how, you know, she has to take over. And um, a lot of the show focuses on um, uh, Winston Churchill, and they sort of show a huh. kind of a darker side of Winston Churchill. So well, that was an, that was a it's cool. I mean, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see the whole side, all sides of it. I mean, Winston Churchill did kill a bunch of people in a famine in India. So. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Not yeah, that surprising. They don't try to. What's interesting is they don't try to like hide anything. They just yeah. show it all, you know, but the the truth of it all. So. Yeah. Let's get to games. Yeah. What games have you guys been playing? I actually did play a couple minutes of Final Fantasy XV. Oh. I know it's going to drive Craig insane that we're not properly covering <laughs> Final Fantasy XV. Yeah. But I did I did play just the very beginning of it, just like the tutorial. And I think that the combat system seems really interesting. Oh, yeah. I know my brother David is loving it because he loves to just drive around landscapes and take uh, take pictures of his road trip with his bros. Because they, like, they have different cameras in the game that you can take pictures with that have, like, you know, different effects or whatever. Yeah. It's interesting. I've never played a video game where that had like a photo taking thing that really, where I got into the photo thing. You know, I, yeah. I'm thinking of some other like Beyond Good and Evil had the you take pictures. Have you guys played that game, Beyond Good and Evil? I'm familiar. I with haven't. It, I yeah, haven't. in it, I guess you're a reporter and you can take pictures of things. Oh, okay. And uh, that was like my least favorite part of the game. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, like Pokemon Safari. Although I played that back in the day. Okay, but like no. <laughs> I'm yeah. not familiar with this mechanic. Pokemon, so. Pokemon Snap. It was, so that's what it that's, was, right? It was all oh, yeah, photos. Yeah. It that. was all photos. Yeah. yeah. So do you get points in Final Fantasy 15 for... Do you get anything for taking pictures, or is it just a fun I don't thing? know. I think it's just a fun thing you can yeah. do. Okay. I know David's shown me a lot of goofy pictures he's taken. <laughs> <laughs> but David's a bit of a nerd, and he's he just bought, a, like, a $400 camera for himself. So he, he's really into, like, photography hardware. So uh, I have a request for those listeners out there. Uh, I don't have a system to play Final Fantasy XV, <laughs> so if you want us to comment on this more, uh, donate a uh, PlayStation 4 to the Red Raven Game podcast. Uh, you can email me at games. I'll give you an address to send it to. But the, 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 final, the final game I've been playing, well, I also I beat Pokemon, but I already talked about that at length. Oh, yeah. Uh, if this counts as a game, I have been I have just started doing Duolingo for Russian to to catch back up on my Russian. I've started losing some of my skills. So. Oh, now what is that? Oh, Duolingo is like a it's like a language learning app, but it basically just quizzes you. Like I've heard a lot about it, but this is the first time I've started using it, and it seems to me like it's probably better as a re- as a review tool than as a learning tool. Hmm. But, so are there advanced settings? Like, will they give you a crazy vocabulary and? Well, what I did is like when like when you start when you start out when you download the app, it gives you the option to take like a proficiency test basically, and then it'll decide where to put you in its like program based oh, on that. Interesting. So. I'm probably getting rusty on Spanish, so. Yeah, it would probably, it would be useful for Spanish. I know they only added Russian fairly recently, but Spanish was one of the first languages they had. Oh, something to look at. Yeah, I'm 12 years due for a practice on my Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. 
So, Andrew, how about you? Yeah, I, I played a few games this week, and uh, I only played a few. You guys will be so proud of me. I kept it really limited. The games, I played three games. Um, I played Voyages of Marco Polo, right. which is by Hans and Gluck, and yeah. Z-Man produced it here in the U.S. I played Stalfer Dynasty, which is also Hans and Gluck, produced by Z-Man, and I played a game called Helios, or Helios, by Hans and Gluck, made by Z-Man. Are you seeing a pattern here? It's a Hans and Gluck week. Yeah, Hans and Gluck week. It really was. And... Um, so now, now we have played. We uh, actually on the podcast uh-huh. we talked about uh, Marco Polo. And, we yeah, did, yeah. yeah. At, at one point, I think a long time ago, but uh, yeah, yeah, because we, we played it actually in the office one time. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. And you liked it? Yeah. You it? Enjoyed it? Yeah, me too. I was teaching a new group. I was my friend Aaron. He invited a bunch of us to his place in uh, Highland, and we were down there playing. I got to see some old friends, acquaintances back from my day in retail down in that region, and. So nice to see all these old familiar faces, but I taught them that, and then we played Stauffer Dynasty, and I was surprised. This is a game by a designer named uh, Andreas Stedding, I believe, uh, and he did a game called Hansa Teutonica yeah. that was pretty popular a few years ago, and it was really good. Uh, I'm surprised how underrated it was. It was under like a, a game that I hadn't heard about much, yeah. um, but it was really fun. Um, and I enjoyed that one, so I'd say, you know, if you like Euro games, it's, it was a good Euro game, good quality pieces, and some neat, I guess, unique mechanics to it. So what was, like, the main thing that you're doing in the game? Like, what's the sure. main... You're uh, basically an entourage of King Henry the Sixth, yeah. going around from, like, Switzerland and Germany all the way down to Italy, just kind of trying to keep control of that area. But in simplest terms, you are... Moving, uh, you're taking a little offering token and getting some workers to your court, yeah. which is like you're mm-hmm. in front of you, and then there's like the supply, which is called the provinces. If you ever played El Grande, a lot of the same terminology was coming across. Okay. And then you basically take those guys, and there are spaces, uh, the board is kind of made up of like, a, like I guess, a hexagon with these different boards that fit together and make a hex shape. Uh, or a octagon shape. I don't remember how many sides. Sorry, I'm not good with shapes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you, like each region has like three or four spaces, and each space is as like an office seat, and it costs four, five, or six workers. You have to spend to put one worker in that space. Yeah. Right? And now you control one of those, and whoever has the most workers in that area will score points for first, second, and third. What makes it neat though is when you're placing workers there, there's a king figure in one of the five or six regions, and you have to place a worker in each space uh, going around that wheel uh, clockwise to reach the province that you want to put guys in. Hmm. And then you have to pay guys, uh, like say if you need five guys there, you'd have to place one guy there, and then going clockwise from that place, placing a guy on each of the different spaces going around the wheel as well. So like for example, if there's three spaces from the king, I'd place three guys at the area I want to go into, cost five guys, it would be a total of eight guys I'm paying just to go in there to gain control of that one spot. And then there was all sorts of little special tiles you get. When you go into the area, under every area, there is a little bonus tile you get, like a treasure chest. And these are all different things that are like set collections or a spended tile that gives you... You can go into any office and just pay one worker, even if it says seven workers. Mm-hmm. So all these little things that break the rules. Or it's free to go move around the provinces from the king's space. And you're only ever scoring two areas. You're scoring one of the six regions plus some sort of bonus condition, which might be whatever area has the fewest chests at the end of the round also scores. And that's going to be variable. So, like, another area might say, like, the area that's where the king is positioned will also score as your B scoring. So there's, like, five scoring rounds. Each scoring round will score one or two areas, depending on the conditions. Because if, 
say the area scoring is also the area with the king, it doesn't double score. It would just score once. So it's neat. It was just kind of this, this weird manipulation of the pieces. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Kind of a rondel, kind of a rondel. Uh, majority scoring yeah. thing. And the other little detail that I thought was interesting is the, all your guys are placed in the be- beginning. You put three workers per player on a track, right? And it's kind of from uh-huh. top to bottom. And uh, it goes like... So you clock. must just have a ton of workers, right? Everybody has three. Oh, okay. You have, wow. So you have three so, uh, per round, yeah. So you have like... Oh, but you're collecting them, and you can save them oh, from round to round. Oh, you, sorry. You have like three um, player pieces to take actions with. But oh, then, I see. But you yeah, have a you, whole bunch of... You could get a bunch, because when the king moves at the end of the round, all the guys that were placed in those areas come back to your oh, court. Okay. So uh, you might yeah. get like 16 guys from like previous rounds that had been building up from going around and around and around. And then how you move your, when you take your actions, you're either going into a, uh, to take a, more workers off this little tracker, and you place those on your left of the of the board, or you're taking an action to place guys in the offices, which are where you place them on the right of the board. And at the end of the round, you take all the guys that were placed on the left, and in whatever order they were placed, you just scoot them up to the top of the tracker, and all the guys on the other track, you scoot them from below that, and that becomes a new turn order. So it's kind of a neat little, uh, Unique way to do turn order. That's cool. That's yeah, cool. Sounds yeah. Interesting. yeah, it was a good little game. Yeah. Sounds meaty. Sounds like I'd need to sort of look at it. Study it. Perfect. <laughs> it looked a little intimidating at first, but came down. It distilled to very simple mechanics. Yeah. Twenty-five minutes per player, and I think we learned it with four people. And we were about ninety minutes. Yeah. With, with learning, so it wasn't too bad. That's cool. Yeah. So on Sunday, I played uh, Imhotep. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So, now, I can't remember. This was a game that was um, nominated for... Nominated for Spiel des Jahres. Yeah, yeah. And it was cool. I li- we liked it yeah. a lot, yeah. Um, and, and as we were playing, uh, pretty quickly, it became apparent how cutthroat that game is. Okay. Yeah. And I remember people saying that. Um, I Actually, as we were playing, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what people were saying about it. But actually, that's why I liked it so much. It's very, um, you know, you put your, so you're trying to build up Egypt, mm-hmm. these different buildings in Egypt, and you're shipping uh, blocks of stone on ships. And um, so you have to put them on ships, and everybody's putting them on these ships, but then one player gets to decide uh, when it goes. And so they might ship it to a place where they want to go, but you don't want to go. Or the or you you'll have all your stone on one ship and they'll send that ship to somewhere that is bad for you but you had been planning to go somewhere else that was really good for you uh. but they had to waste an action doing it anyway it, it was fun you know we we got to the end and there was there's so much interaction in the game and um, it's funny like when I brought it over my brother the whole time he was doing like the emote <laughs> the mummy like there's yeah, this yeah. scene where the guy is like he pretends to be a zombie. <laughs> and then my brother-in-law came in. He looked at the box and he did the same thing. <laughs> have you have you heard that they're apparently making a new Mummy movie? Oh, I did hear that with yeah. like Tom Cruise or something. What's the point without Brendan Brendan Fraser though? I know, right? It's <laughs> just that movie. That old movie is so funny. I could be wrong on this, but I think that new Mummy movie is part of a new series, like the like kind of oh, like a Marvel yeah. Cinematic Universe. I think they're going to be doing They're going to do a mummy mon- cinematic mon- a universe? A monster movie with Frankenstein and Dracula. Don't quote me on that, but if, but maybe check that out and see if that... It sounds familiar. I think I, I did hear that. that. Yeah, maybe. It, it, it's funny, like, the board game industry is, is, you know, the big thing is, like, the legacy game, I guess. And, uh, 
you know, that Hollywood, they're trying to do the legacy game too, right? Yeah, they have to, <laughs> yeah basically. 18 years out, guaranteed. Right? They have movies planned. Yeah. Before they All the movies the have to be connected and intertwined, right. and this character has to show up in this movie. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Um, well, we have a lot of questions today. So is there anything else anybody wanted to talk about before I we do. jump into? I oh, have yeah, one have more. more. Oh, yeah, and right. that, that was um, this other game I played uh, called uh, Helios. Helios. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Sorry, but... Uh, I saw the box cover. It's yeah. really pretty. Yeah, and, and my wife actually played this one. Uh, she played this one with me, so I'm so excited. I get to shout out. Like, Thank you, Janae, for playing a board game with me recently. Um but this was this so this game uh, is another Euro game and it seemed like it was gonna be kinda heavy, so I was worried like it was gonna take too long, we were tired for putting the baby down to sleep. This game, after learning and playing it, only took forty five minutes to play. Oh, so wow. that was great, yeah. And it was really simple. There was like three stacks of tiles, and on your turn you take uh, an, a- an action from one of those three stacks. It's always the same action in each stack. You always take the bottom tile, and you're either taking a tile and placing it on your board adjacent to another tile and getting a resource of that type. You're, you're uh, building a building, either like a temple in the middle area, or a building on these buildings in your building board and paying the resources. Does everybody have their own Everybody has their board. own building board and their own, like, this this region. And now area. I'm looking at this picture. Are these yeah. buildings, are they cut to shape? Just so you guys know, Andrew is showing us the back yeah. of the box. Yeah. <laughs> so looking at the back of the box, yeah, there. Vision with us, if you will. This, this, a boarding box, rectangular in shape. Yeah, so these are actually just a player board. There's no pieces oh, there's on no this. there's no actually pieces. No actually pieces. pieces. Okay. But they're just cost, and then when you take a little white building, you pay the cost of the resources, you take them off your thing, and you build it. So that's the second action you can do. Or there's a little yellow sun token, and you can move, depending where your sun tracker is, that many spaces by moving the sun tile around the area. And where the sun ends up, you get new resources on those spaces. And when it crosses over the threshold, like the middle, like yeah. 12 o'clock, you get victory points. So you're kind of trying to manipulate this around and around and around as you get resources no, to build no, stuff. So, what's your, yeah. oh, say, so what's your basic goal in this game? Like, what's the what's the brief thematic pitch? Rumble. What are you doing? <laughs> get victory points! No, no, no. I mean, more, more than that, you're building a, a civilization as, like, priests of a sun god, okay. and you're trying to, like... Right, so like the sun god, sort of fantasy okay, setting. So okay. the sun god like will use his divine favor to bring the sun to prosper and illuminate the regions of resources. I guess okay. <laughs> big forests and mountains. It'll make the rocks grow on the mountains. I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't right. know, but then you're spending those resources to build buildings, temples, and uh, if you get like four tiles of the same color. When you're taking them off the bottom of these tracks, you get a bonus action, uh, like a free action. So it's kind of a yeah. So so this is two to four. Yeah. How was it with two? Excellent. Yeah. Because sometimes I don't know. I, you know, I usually don't like two player know, games, right? right? And, and I have I kind of find it kind of boring, or I don't know. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And uh, I, I I agree. Some games really fall flat with two. Yeah, right. And, and this one was engaging. And I'll tell you, usually when I play a Euro game, I figure out the puzzle. Like I get it. I get what the game's trying to do, and I can appreciate it for one play. And, Unfortunately, the real, the real, uh, I guess the realistic truth is, I don't play the same game more than once often because of that. But after we played this, my wife and I both commented that that was fun. It was fast and fun. It was deep and meaty for what it was, and there was like a lot of things we could still do differently. I would play this one again. Yeah. And that's kind of rare for me. That's also, high yeah, this is a yeah, guy that yeah. owns 1,400 games, so... <laughs> There's actually 1,500. But no, it was it was really fun. Um, and this was another really underrated game, so I don't know what drew me to try these games. I, I would say probably because I have games I've never played in my collection. I was like, 
that's it. It's time to just start playing what I have and appreciating my this games. This is like an old one you had for a while. For about a year or so, yeah. yeah. So, okay. anyways, that was, it was a really fun little treasure I yeah. discovered. So. That's good. Looks in, I, I'd play that. That looks cool. Yeah. All right. So, let's jump into questions here. We have we 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 got quite a few on Twitter, and we're gonna try to answer just some of them. Yeah, we're we're gonna stagger them out through a couple of weeks. So yeah. if if we don't answer your question here, or if we don't answer you directly on Twitter, we might be getting to it eventually. So be patient. But uh, so for today, I had a couple of questions that I thought we could address. First is from uh, T C Petty. Three. Three. Oh, yeah, he's games. a friend of mine. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's a game designer. I was wondering how to pronounce this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's at Puppy Shogun on Twitter. And uh, he asks, do you find it easier to write scenarios and passages or complete art for your recent games? Do you like one better than the other? I will say, for me, it's um, a bigger challenge to be creative when you're writing mm-hmm. than art. For me, art is so natural it feels so natural it just uh if i need to paint something i just sit down and it feels like it just happens and with writing it there's so much like sweat and planning and like difficulty i I feel like you sit down to the keyboard you start writing and a lot of the stuff that comes out is just not great at least for me and i've heard i've heard professional writers say this too it's not just something Mm -hmm. that comes easily you gotta you gotta chip away at that stone to get the good stuff. Right? What I what I usually end up doing is just sitting there and staring at my blank word processor for ages <laughs> as I go through all of those, you know, not as good words in my head until I get to something that I'm happy enough with to oh, type down. Yeah. But yeah, I'll sit there and like write and rewrite a passage in my mind for like a good ten minutes before I put anything on paper. Oh wow, okay. Interesting. Depending. For me, I usually will will write something out and uh you know, it won't be great, so I'll end up just discarding it. And yeah. It's almost like I, I just have to run, like, a few miles before I get to, like, the, the forest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have an so. additional question to add on to that then. So you find it, that it's more the um, the technical aspects of, like, grammar and things like that that make it difficult? Or oh. is it just finding the inspiration and, and create is the creative part directly that makes it difficult? I think it's uh, coming up, well, specifically in the case of like Above and Below, Near and Far, um, it's difficult to come up with something that feels fresh and new, like a situation, and that you haven't done before. You know, I, having written hundreds of <laughs> encounters, you, ha- you, know, you have to really start going deep in the well to find right. something new. And there's, there's always something new there, but every time you got to dig a little deeper, right? At least for me. Yeah, especially if you've already gone through like hundreds of different scenarios. Like there's a there's a way in which writing these short little scenarios for games like uh, Above and Below and Near and Far is almost more like a really long form brainstorming session than necessarily like like a lot of writing. Like it's not sitting down and writing a full story in a novel and you can like tie all these threads together and. Like, we tried to do a little bit of stuff to tie the encounters together into sort of a bigger story. But it's like these little chunks, just these little ideas that you have to do hundreds of, basically. Yeah, and they, yeah, and actually, I have more to say on that later, but we'll get to that. Yeah, that actually, that, this whole, this whole last (laughs) bit of this conversation has tied in really well to the next question 
from uh, John Paul Kilcrease, who is at JP Kilcrease on Twitter, who asks, how does storytelling in board games differ from storytelling in other mediums like films, books, or video games? Well, in, in board games, um, the way, at least the way we do it, um, it ha it's, 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 it's hard to describe. It's kind of like poetry. Yeah. It's got to be really uh, it boiled down to a very short form, and it has to be punchy, and it has to have a lot of content in a short uh, amount of words, right? Yeah, and I think, I think the comparison to poetry is really smart, because poetry, excellent. Yeah. poetry is all about saying as much as you can in as few words as possible, basically. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do as well. Uh, the other thing that I think makes writing for our games different from writing for other mediums, like even like, there's a lot of video games that do have interactive storytelling in which players make choices that lead down different paths. Yeah. So in that way, writing for video games is closer to what we do than say writing for a film or a book where the story is linear. Yeah. But there's some stuff that's pretty unique in, that are unique challenges in the storybooks that we make to go along with our games. And I don't know, how much are we allowed to talk about <laughs> our newest writing project? Um, the, the one we're working on right now? Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's talk just talk about terms? vaguely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so in, in vague terms, I'm currently working on a writing project that involves writing these short storylines that take place over multiple encounters. But the unique challenge here is that these encounters aren't necessarily going to be viewed by the same player. It's yeah. not necessarily going to be the same player who's doing every level of the story. So it's a unique challenge to try to come up with a cohesive story with like a plot and character arcs and such where the player character is not the main character because the player character can't be the main character because it might be a different person every time who's yeah. doing the actions. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's similar also to, like, um, to writing for, uh, like, a comic strip. So ha I'm a fan of Calvin and Hobbes, and just reading through those books, you can see that each strip has to make sense because each strip is one day, you know? And somebody might be in the middle of the story. And they have storylines that go on. This is Peanuts does this as well. Yeah. And, you know, lots of comic strips do. But, um, you know, like one strip will be a part of the story. But um, in just a few words, they have to, like, um, you know, have it make sense. Even if you didn't read the other, like, yeah. everything at, in front of it. It has, to, <laughs> it has to be part of a greater whole, but it also has to stand alone just as a complete work yeah. in itself. It has yeah. to be self-contained as well as being part of something bigger. So that's definitely a unique challenge as a writer. Right, right. Yeah, well, you were going to say I something. I do. I want to say something about that. You know, back to the poetry analogy, um, you know, there are confines to poetry. There's a certain system or rule and a pattern that we see in poetry. And these story uh, segments that are in these games very much kind of follow that. There's almost like a law or a, a size to them kind of a flow and, 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 a, and a rhythm that they're going to follow. Like the kinds of things you encounter, they're not able to be these huge segments of novella size per story, right? They have to be small. And so, so you have to, in order to do that and continue to follow that pattern, imagine a, a poet who has to write hundreds of different stanzas 
what a challenge that is, right? Because you have to keep falling yeah, in, this, in, in the this, limited in the limited yeah, format, kind of, right? depending on the type of poetry and the uh, the form that they're writing in and such. But yeah, I think I think you're right that there are sort of constraints on uh, what we're writing, and that's going to guide sort of how we write it and what sorts of ideas we can come up with, which is another challenge in the just the brainstorming just the idea generation part of it is that it has to be ideas that are going to fit in this very particular format of having a brief paragraph a couple of options like a couple of options that have to fit into a particular style like in near and far it's either combat or skill like they have to your choices have to fit into those and then you have to have just a brief reaction paragraph and you're trying to create something satisfying and something that feels like a cohesive whole over multiple of these while also feeling like a cohesive whole on its own. So yeah, that's actually why these projects are really exciting to me as a writer, because oftentimes it's those constraints that really do breed creativity because your those limitations are what cause you to maybe go outside of your normal ideas, your normal comfort zone as a writer, and come up with some really cool stuff. That, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And you know, uh, the other part of this that's kind of poetic, or it reminds me of that kind of a poetry analogy, is um, these stories are meant to be read out loud. Right? That's yeah. true. So, so you, both of you, Brenna and you, Ryan, uh, I know really like Terry Pratchett, and off that cue, I decided to to listen through. Uh, one of the Terry Pratchett uh, books. I did an audio book. I'm kind of a lazy reader, so it's about as far <laughs> yeah. as I could handle it. Uh, but, you know, how, listening to that out loud was the way to go because everything is nuanced in the performance of the different accents, the different personalities. That's true. And when you read these stories for Above and Below or Near and Far, you can hear the musical intonation that can come out from those. I mean, for example, when Elf Seeger has like his things, <laughs> and he has this alliteration or these sound effects, right? They're in all capitals. Yeah. You really, it, what a joy and fun that can be. And I, and I hope that listeners understand that like when they're playing the game, maybe they'll have a new perspective going into it next time they redo a story out loud reading mm-hmm. because there is something wonderful, something charming, and something just very special and intimate that you get to have with people at the table you're sharing that experience with. You're going to have a memory telling these stories, laughing out loud, listening to your friends and loved ones share and, and exchange this. And I would say it's a very, uh, it's almost a ritual, you know, going around the campfire, you know, and the, the ancient ritual of <laughs> campfire storytelling. Right. There's something like that, that you know, when you're yeah, doing it is this. a similar feel, well, definitely. Yeah. Right. And the fact that you're reading them in the middle of a game, like you're basically taking a break from a strategy game to read this little story also is something to consider. Like writing these, we have to think about, well, how is this going to be being read out loud in the middle of a game when people are doing other stuff, when uh, separately, like maybe some, maybe a long time from when they read the last encounter that was connected to this one, because Uh, we don't know. Are they going to remember? Are they going to remember the (laughs) previous encounter? Because they're not, they're not just taking the book and reading straight through it. Right. There's, there's a lot of time and a lot of stuff going on between when they're going to read the encounters. Yeah, yeah, we could we could go on for hours. We really this. could. <laughs> There's a lot. Listen, we've we've thought a lot about this for the past year. <laughs> we've we've thought we've thought a lot about this for the past year. I uh, studied storytelling in college. Basically, I've been doing interactive writing for ages. So yeah, I'm a big storytelling nerd. Yeah. I will I will ramble about writing for ages. <laughs> oh yeah. 
Yeah. So, right, yeah, so good answer. Yeah, that's it for the questions. Okay. This week. Excellent, excellent. So let's move on to the... Tip, tip, tip of the week. The tip of the week is is related to the questions. In fact, I'm sure it's going to sound like we already said this, but when you're writing a story encounter, let's say you're doing a story encounter for a, a game, start early with a hook. So when I say start with a hook, this is actually something that they tell you in to do in almost all story writing. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I mean, when you're... Just think about when you turn on that Netflix show that you haven't seen yet. And you're like, people are like, oh, this is so good. What happens in the first, like, five minutes, right? It's the hook. Yeah. If there's not a hook in five minutes, you better know that the short attention span is going to turn that off and right. turn on, you know, turn to something else. And the hook is really just something that happens in a character's life, you know, is an event that uh, will start the whole cascade of events. You yeah. Know, that... It might be a problem that happens to someone. In, in a game setting, it's usually you come upon someone or something that you now have the opportunity to affect in some way. Like every piece of writing needs to have a hook, but depending on the length of your piece of writing, it can happen in a different time frame. So like in a novel, you have maybe a page or two to get your hook in. In a short story, you want to get it in the first paragraph. Right. And so in, so in a short paragraph or two long encounter... You want to get that hook in first sentence as fast as you can. Yeah. And sort of what, what people say is that the most important things to establish right there at the beginning to draw people in are a setting, a character, and a problem. Yeah. So if you can get all of those into your first sentence... <laughs> well, it's almost like the whole book uh, of a story game like that is just a bunch of hooks. <laughs> it is. That's, it's a bunch of hooks that's all with it two, is. With some choices. With some choices. So let's, let me try one on for a second. So like, let's see. I'm sitting at a bar <laughs> when suddenly a man rushes in, a wounded man rushes in and, and says, help, help, my village has been attacked by Glogos. Right? Is that yeah. kind of, is yeah. that kind of yeah. it? Yeah. That's, that's, that's basically it. To really punch it home, yeah. you would want... A couple of descriptive details to make the bar unique and to make the man unique. Okay. What is it that sets them apart from a generic bar or a generic man? Yeah, so this guy mm. sitting at the bar, he's okay. uh, a lava lamp bar. Oh, a yeah. 70s themed <laughs> bar. There you, go. Lamp bar. there you go. There you go. And That's the guy me. that runs in is wearing a chicken suit. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's enough to get people now, involved and get to, people intrigued. Does it have to include, like, what his objective or his quest or his request is also in that, that no, scene? No, not necessarily. It's, okay. just, it's just a problem that has to be set up. Okay. Right. And I mean, so I know the chicken suit is funny, but <laughs> it's almost like, why? It, it gives you that question. Why is the man wearing a chicken suit? You know, suddenly you, you want to see what happens. Like, why is he wearing a chicken suit? And... Because if a guy just runs in and says, oh, I need help, it's like, well, everybody needs help. You know? right. why, why is this guy special? Exactly. You want, you want it to be a Ignore unique... Ignore encounter, right? <laughs> but, that's, but that's why it's so important to establish the character as well as the problem, because it's the character that's going to give you that unique thing that's going to draw you in. Right. If it's yeah. just, if it's just uh, John Doe with his flat tire and he needs help, like... Yeah. Why do you care? Well, it's the what, Christmas what's season, gonna... so we should we should help them anyways. <laughs> well, we should help yeah. them, but why? Why is that? An, but is that an interesting story? Yeah, it, you know, 
we would help him, but, you know, maybe we shouldn't help him because he's got that look in his eye, like, sort of crazed look. Maybe it's because he's really tired or hungry, or maybe he's actually crazy, you know? Yeah. Or it's a foil, and he's not really, doesn't have a really a flat tire, and he's just waiting to... Waiting to throw us in wait. the trunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You don't know. <laughs> that's our next game, I guess. But that's, but that's why, if you can, within just a few words, just really easily establish some uniqueness and some, like, individual presence. And I think in our in our games, like, the setting is a bit less important because we kind of have that set up in the game. Like, yeah. the game itself and the theme of the game. And the art and everything. Puts to, and the art. That all already is drawing the setting. Yeah. So in our specific games, what we need to get out quickly is the character and the problem. Yeah, yeah. Now, this, I'm going to go off um, on a side path here. It, it reminded me of something. So something I've noticed in playing um, video games is if, if there's too much story, like in the beginning, like if maybe, maybe they give mm -hmm. me a hook, but the hook takes like 20 minutes and they don't let me play the game, I always lose interest. Yeah. So there's also a balance, you know, it's like... Uh, in games, it's it's really difficult. And, you know, in some games, like, our games, they have, each encounter is like its own hook, but a lot of games, the, the, the introduction, the introductory paragraph is sort of the hook of the game. Like, I'm trying to think, oh, like, small world, it's like, all these fantasy races are battling in a small land, you know, and they are constantly fighting each other and pushing each other off the edge and there's no room for everybody so and so now you know what the game about is about and that's the hook of the whole game yeah right i think that's important too i mean you know if you play a video game sometimes they'll do this uh, indulgent thing where you play five hours and then suddenly the title credits like pop up on your screen <laughs> and you're like oh so that's what this game is which, about right which, you might not get that far though if <laughs> Which again, it's what I it's what I was talking about with length. Which if it's a particular genre of game and you know you're going to be spending like seventy to a hundred hours playing it, maybe it can get away with get taking away. Yeah. five hours to yeah. do the intro. But in general, like especially with people getting shorter and shorter attention spans, frankly, like it's more important to get that hook in at the beginning. And if you can do that, if you can set up some just really quick hook, even if it doesn't explain the full big epic story of your game, just a small hook to bring you in and then let you play right away, yeah. then that will do better at drawing readers in. Yeah, and yeah, this, this advice is good for writing like little mini encounters like we do in our games, but it's also good for writing in general and especially any sort of... Uh, interactive writing like even if you're doing sort of like a choose your own adventure book or an interactive fiction game that's text-based or writing for a video game yeah it's really useful to get to set up setting character problem and then give your player something to do yeah yeah now what one thing you said reminded me uh we're gonna go right back to final fantasy 15 let's do because, it because um you're saying um you know it depends on how long the, uh, the, the game is, game is yeah. going to be. And I remember watching uh, Conan O'Brien play. He does this Clueless Gamer segment. Well, those, yes. And he totally ripped on the game so, so hard. Like, he said it was so terrible and, like, it was the worst thing. He couldn't imagine why anyone would play, play this it, game. Yeah. And when I saw that segment, I thought, oh, no, it's going to be another dud. 
and the game came out and it's getting really great reviews. Well, so, I don't. Yeah, I just I don't think Conan. Like I don't think Conan O'Brien is the no target audience. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. The demographic through the Final Fantasy. I think you're a little more forgiving if you've come through that experience. Well, you and kind of know what to expect. Well, and not even. It's very weird if you're a new gamer looking at, at Final Fantasy as it is in its iteration. Well, and not even just Final Fantasy, but JRPGs. Yeah. For JRPGs in general, there's an expectation of heavier story that's going to take longer to set up and it's going to be deeper yeah. and like long cut scenes. And like, frankly, that's not necessarily, that's not that's necessarily, not always, that's not for everybody. And they know that. And they know that. A game but there everyone. are people that really, really like that. That right. has some hardcore fans. Yeah. But even then, I feel like a lot of fan, like final fantasy and JRPG style and like really story heavy games could probably stand to spend less time right at the beginning on setting up the lore and on exposition. Oh, sure. Keep, save that for later and just Absolutely. get started faster. Yeah, you know, I want to say something about that. Like, so I'm, I, I, I think, I consider myself a Final Fantasy fan, and I beat Final Fantasy VIII, and that was one I really liked. But I remember there being parts that were very, um, t- you had to be very patient, and it, it paid off, but not right away. It was a very slow payoff. It was like a boiler, right? <laughs> and... I remember the first six hours were in a school, like a university. Yeah. It was it's very slow. Really slow. Just getting start. out of that. Now, now, I'll tell you where my limit was, though, and I usually try to be not critical of things. I want to usually try to say like what I like, but I'll, I'll make an exception here. The last Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy, was it 14 or well, 13? 14 is the 14 no, is the MMO. I'm sorry, 13. 13. Uh, I put 17 and a half hours, <laughs> and I never got out of the railroaded starting. Yeah, yeah. Tutorial, yeah, same, and, and same I gotta just say that's that's probably a far extreme. I don't know any other game that had such a long tutorial. That I never got out into the open world, which I guess is in the game somewhere. There's like this big sandbox open world. Once you world. get past the railroad, the last the first hear, 21 hours apparently it gets really good. But <laughs> yeah, come on, that's like these yeah. are these are things to learn, right? And yeah. and I but I look at Steam and I look at the comments and it's overwhelmingly positive. I like. 17,000 people, so there are fans of People that. like those, yeah. But, just, but for me, like that was that was too much. It was past my threshold to be able to spend my my patience yeah. that long. That's yeah. kind of that's kind of how I feel about the Tales games, which is another big popular JRPG oh, yes. franchise. Yeah. Right. I've never been able to get very far into them because they have so many like just uh, cutscene breaks. Yeah. And usually I don't care enough about the characters to get drawn into it. My my favorite JRPG was one called Eternal Sonata. That's basically the dying fever dream of Frederick Chopin as a JRPG. Oh yeah, uh, I remember you telling me about that. That where where that game succeeded for me is that it had all of the it had all of the hallmarks of a JRPG where it has the long cutscenes and the weird story. Although I found it a lot of fun in that. But also, and also had the grinding, like level grinding for the, uh, all of the random encounters, just the same battle system over and over again. But I found the battle system mechanics fun enough that I enjoyed grinding. And that's what got me through the game. Like you gotta, if you're gonna, if you're gonna have a repetitive game, you gotta make sure that it's fun in the repetition. Yeah. Yeah. And to segue this back kind of to like the discussion about like game. Yeah, that was a tangent. Sorry. No, it's okay. No, but I I have a a good segue here. Uh, You know. Um, we were doing demos at BoardGameGeekCon a few weeks ago yeah. of Near and Far. And I started some of these demos doing a rules explanation that took probably, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes before players could jump in. 
And then, of course, the demo went, you know, an hour and a half or something after that. And after that first day, we realized that that's long. We weren't able to get as many demos as we wanted. And we changed the approach we took to suddenly just start players in on the game without even doing the rules explanation. Just start playing and taking turns and teach the rules as we went. And I'll tell you, right, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. Amazing how (laughs) the players were more engaged, jumping right into the game by play. Not some board games I can think of had 10 tutorials before you actually play the first scenario. Like in the rulebook, there are actually 10 tutorials. tutorials. Players might know what game we're referring to. And that's unfair. Players want to jump and and, and activate and participate with the game. You gotta find a way to do that. I think I think it's important. Go ahead. And here's yeah. here's how I can really draw this into the tip of the week. If you want to explain a game quickly, draw players into it, keep them from tuning out, and like get a good opening place to begin your rules explanation. Set up a setting, a theme, a character, who the player is and what they want, and a problem. So like if you're gonna if you're gonna explain our game Islebound, you say you're in this mystical archipelago, you're playing a group of sailors, and you want to become the most rich and famous sailors in the game. Privateer adventurers. Go. <laughs> you know, whatever you want to call them, right. there you've got, you've got setting, character, problem, and you can start the game. And, you, and they have this focus it's now. I know who I am and what I'm trying to do. Exactly. And that's going to keep them more engaged when you're explaining the fiddly rules. Right, right, yeah. I mean, and we, we have mentioned this before, but when you're designing a game, uh, it's important to think of who the player gets to be when yeah. in the game. I mean, if you can't answer that question, you probably need to go back to the drawing board. For, for a game design in general, you need to have the setting, the character, and the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you mean I can't just be a... A, a uh, set resource value on a track that goes up and down, and that's not enough. For... <laughs> it's less yeah. engaging. Yeah, that's right. Well, thank you for joining us this week, everybody. You can visit our website, redravengames.com. Follow us on Twitter, at redravengame, no less. Uh, we'd like to say thank you to Fluid Volt for the use of our theme song, Doggy Goes Moo, from the album Clay Memory. You can listen to more of Fluid Volt's music at soundcloud.com slash fluidvolt. Also, right now, you can purchase the 8-Minute Empire European Expansion Board on the Meeple Source Store, and the Above and Below Groves promo just became available on the Board Game Geek Store, so you can check that out, too. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Brenna underscore Asplund, and you can follow Andrew at... Enderfrick1. And... What else do I usually say? <laughs> Go make oh, a fu- sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. <laughs> oh, he did it. Oh, I was no, gonna what say, was your new thing? No, I was just... Never more. But oh. I was going to say... <laughs> before we get to that... Yeah, uh, sub- you can subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. Go ahead and uh, leave us a review if you can. It help- really helps us out. Oh, yeah. That's right. And, and also, uh, we're going to have a... Um, Coming up in the next few weeks, we'll probably start uh, looking. Uh, we're going to share some information about a demo event program. So if you're interested in this type of thing, uh, feel free to email me at andrew at redravengains.com. We'll have more information on that, so stay tuned. Yeah. All right. All right. Have a good okay. week. Nevermore. Raven wants a cracker. <laughs> <laughs>
like gone up to do like presentations or in school or once it happened at a debate tournament where like I just had this massive coughing fit to the point of like being unable to stop coughing, just coughing like straight for like a good 10, 15 minutes, like impossible to talk or do anything, just coughing. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> like total breakdown in the middle of a debate tournament. You're like, hang on. It's like, <laughs> see, it couldn't even say hang on because it's just a constant, unstoppable coughing. Did you win? No. Oh. 